This episode of 20 Minute Fitness is brought to you by Love Good Fats, the ridiculously delicious high-fat, low-carb snacks. The founder of Love Good Fats used to follow a low-fat diet. However, after hitting a wall and reading A Big Fat Surprise, a book by fat advocate Nina Teicholz, she learned that contrary to conventional wisdom, more, not less dietary fat is what leads to better health, wellness, and fitness. She tried a high-fat, low-carb diet and experienced positive health improvements. However, she found it challenging to stay fat-fueled and to find snacks that met her diet, which has led her to founding Love Good Fats. The mission of Love Good Fats is to change people's lives through the power of eating foods that taste both good and are low in sugar. Their product offerings range from delicious truffle-like bars with a melt-in-your-mouth texture, chewy nutty bars and extra creamy shakes in a variety of flavors including plant-based options. My personal favorites are the lemon mousse and the cookies and cream bars, both of which have exciting and delicious flavors with only 2 and 1 grams of sugar each. They are like a dessert without the guilt element, you know? So I can confirm that the Love Good Fats products will help you stay fat-fueled on the go and also satisfy your sweet tooth cravings without high added sugars. They're available in stores and online across the US and Canada. Go to lovegoodfats.com and use the promo code 20minfitness to get 20% off your order. That's lovegoodfats.com and promo code 20minfitness. Love Good Fats to keep your fat fuel in check. Hey and welcome to 20 Minute Fitness, proudly powered by ShapeScale, your personal 3D body scanner. Apologies for having had to rerun an older show last week. Our baby girl arrived a little earlier than anticipated last week, which led me to take a few days of leave in the light of that. Nevertheless, I think the interview with Fight Camp founder Khalil Sahab was the show worth, worth re-airing because they have a great founding story and a really cool product that brings boxing to your home. Anyways, today we've got a new episode focused entirely on nutrition. There are certainly tons of different diets and nutritional advice out there about what you should eat and what you shouldn't. Worse yet, it seems to be changing all the time. Well, remember the cholesterol craze, low-fat diets, slim fast, heck, they even used to be a cigarette diet once upon a day. More recently, it seems we've been coming to a growing consensus that a diet low in carbohydrates is probably the healthiest and also the most sustainable approach towards weight loss. What is much more up for debate though is whether we should go low-carb high-fat or low-carb and high-protein as I recently discussed with Dr. Ted Naiman on episode 203. Another point of debate is what exactly should we eat to accomplish such a diet? Should we avoid animal products altogether and follow a plant-based diet or is it better to get most of our fats and proteins from animals? And even if, isn't eating meat bad for the environment? Filmmaker Brian Sanders is hoping to answer some of these questions with his upcoming documentary called Food lies, which is looking at the history of the human diet and how we ended up at the current obesity crisis in America to begin with. Without further ado, let's jump into my interview with Brian. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Good. How are you doing, Dylan? Great. Well, thank you so much for making it onto our show. Absolutely. Exciting. So yeah, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about your own background? Yeah, well, basically I've lived nutrition 24 hours a day, for three years, I've been making a film. I'm just all in. I just read studies. I watch lectures. I go to conferences. My whole world is around finding out about health. And I'm making a film called Food Lies, which is all about that. It's trying to demystify nutrition. Nutrition is super complicated, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own idea of diet and everyone knows someone who went vegan and lost weight. And then someone did all meat. They're like, oh, they went carnivore and they lost weight and they feel great. How is this even possible? So my big overarching goal is 
trying to get the average person to understand nutrition and eating and how to be healthy. Yeah. So I've been obviously reading about the documentary Food Lies uh, that you're working on. And I think on your side, you were saying that, you know, the documentary is really intended to cover the history of our dietary guidelines the epidemic of chronic disease and obesity that followed from that and what the new science is actually telling us humans what we should be eating and how to eat that food sustainable. Uh, let, let's unpack that actually one by one because I'm curious about what do you mean actually when you talk about the history of dietary guidelines? Mm, yeah, well, there, there's a long history there. And actually, I should say, I, I've been doing this a lot longer than three years. I just spent three years full time. Uh, actually, well, actually, I have a background in mechanical engineering and tech but um, also had my own sort of health journey in my family. I lost both my parents at the age of 30, 31 to these chronic diseases from people eating the wrong diet. And this really leads into the dietary guidelines because we follow the dietary guidelines our whole life. They ate the food pyramid. We ate the low-fat foods. We cooked all the food ourselves. We weren't going out to McDonald's. We weren't you know, doing anything crazy. We were, we were just making our own food and following the guidelines. And they slowly got just sicker as they aged. And we kind of accept that, right? It's people like, oh yeah, mm -hmm. it's like the dad bod, you know? Oh yeah, you're supposed to, you know, you just get the dad bod as you grow up. And you're like, wait a second, that's that's not right actually, you know? And just look myself in my twenties, I was getting that dad bod. I didn't, I have great health. I was getting sick every once in a while. I, had, I was just pudgy. And now I'm 10 years older, I'm 37 now. And I'm in way better health than I was when I was 27. And it's because I went away from the dietary guidelines. I went away from the food pyramid. And, you know, as the cliche goes, you do the opposite. And just to, to be clear, like when, when you say food pyramid, that's something that was introduced by the Food and Drug Administration, like what, 60, 60 70 years ago? Yeah, well, 1977, there was the, the original dietary guide. 1980, I think, was the release oh, of the more food recent. Pyramid. Yeah, well, okay, so it, it started. Okay, so I will go into that. The, the actual history of it started in around 1955 with President Eisenhower had a heart attack, right? So this mm -hmm. was the time when a lot of people were smoking and a lot of these, all these new uh, vegetable oils were coming into their diet, like fried foods, and people were moving away from the natural foods that, you know, they cook for themselves. So there's a lot going on in this time. And yeah, he, he was like, hey, what's going on? Why do I have heart disease? And he had more heart attacks and he basically put together the McGovern committee. There's also in the, in the 1960s and 70s, this is when it was all taking place. And there was a guy named Ansel Keys that was kind of tasked with figuring out what how does heart disease develop, right? And he looked mm -hmm. and he thought it was saturated fat and cholesterol. Basically, that was his hypothesis. And he did this famous seven country study. And there's a lot to that story. Some people have heard it a million times. Some people have never heard of it. But he basically looked at all these different countries and he, he cherry picked seven out of 22 and showed this correlation where the more saturated fat and cholesterol the country ate, the more heart attacks they died from. And, you know, it's actually wasn't done well. It's correlational science. It's not causational. And he also cherry picked it. And we look at all the countries he skipped. There was no direct correlation. It was all over the place. And there was another guy named John Yudkin who had a competing theory that it was the sugar and the refined flour that was causing the problem. And he was over in, in England and looking at all these different societies that just recently changed their diet and started adding in a lot more sugar and flour and stuff like that. And they were getting sick. So that was his idea. But he's won out. 
eventually we came to these dietary guidelines. Like I said, in 77 and in 1980, it was a food pyramid and now it's called my plate, but it's all about the same. And it's kind of the same around the world. And, and, and those guidelines, they told us to what, like eat more grains and, and less meat yeah. and dairy or what was it exactly? Yeah. The food pyramid. So yeah, people don't even remember the food pyramid. The whole base of the food pyramid is starches and grains. You know, it's like eat like eight to 11 servings of starches and grains. It was rice and pasta and bread and all this stuff. And then it was, fruits and vegetables in the next level. And it was like, whatever, five to six servings of each. And then we finally got to the, the highly bioavailable, nutritious animal foods up, up near the top. And then in the very top were, you know, the actual, you know, sugar and oil, I guess were the very top. So yeah, this is what they put out to the world. They basically put the world on an experiment, an unproven low fat diet. And they actually said, what's the worst that could happen? (laughs) We'll just put the world on the low fat diet. And, you know, how could it be bad? Fat, it's got to be bad for you, even though we've been eating fat for all of human history. And the results are striking. I mean, we'll put this in the film, but there's a great graph of the obesity epidemic. You can see the percentage of obese Americans and a sharp uptick at 1980. When these guidelines were rolled out, there's a sharp uptick in the rise in obesity, and it's been climbing ever since. And um, what actually led to that change? You know, like, I mean, like, there's no science that backed up the food pyramid. How did they even arrive at it? Well, so part of it was just the hypothesis of Ansel Keys, look, you know, correlations. Part of it was some bad science. We didn't have all the technology to do good science back then. An example is they fed rabbits a high fat, high cholesterol diet. So rabbits eat leaves and whatever. They don't eat fat. They're not, their system's not designed for it. So of course they they did say have heart disease. They they, they got atherosclerosis. They opened up the, the bodies. They did the autopsy and they had plaque in the arteries. So like, oh, we gave the, the these rabbits fat and they have plaques in the arteries. You know, simple stuff like that went a long way for us to just jump to conclusions. And, but then also there's a bunch of big interests that were happening. And I, you know, I started really digging into this for the film is what, how did these guidelines get made? Like how did they actually put it together? And, and the original guidelines actually did have more fat and meat in them, but there was one, there was a lot of lobbying to do with the big grain. There's America has tons of grain and sugar. We have tons of land and we, we, we grow corn, wheat, and soy. And we had a lot of it. There's a lot of money behind it. And there was a lot of lobbying behind it. But also there was programs like the food stamps program were, were just being developed. And we realized we couldn't feed the nation under these welfare programs if we said meat and fat and all these whole foods were healthy and the way to go. It's just the math didn't work. We, we didn't have the budget to, because what, what that means is all the hospitals, the military programs, the childcare, schools, nursing homes, they would, well, food stamps program, they would all have to get this diet that was healthy. So they made, instead of whole foods, they put all the refined grains and starchy foods that were cheap and plenty. Got it. And in the end, what would you say in a nutshell is, is wrong with the food pyramid then? Well, if you really if you want to be purely scientific about it, it's it doesn't give you bioavailable nutrient dense foods. It doesn't give you adequate nutrition. And to get adequate nutrition, you'd have to basically overeat calories where the starchy foods and pasta and grains and all this stuff are not nutrient dense, meaning your body, they don't have all the complete nutrients uh, or they're not bioavailable to your body. You can't get them out of that food because of anti-nutrients or other things like lectins and things that basically in foods that block them. So so 
just by the math, you can't get good nutrition from these foods. And the most bivalent nutrition is from the animal foods and especially nose to tail animal foods like organ meat, you know, organs and, you know, fish eggs and oysters and regular eggs and all these things that all our ancestors knew to eat. And this is where the adequate nutrition is. So, so what should I we think, be eating? Yeah. Should we just be eating meat and seafood or what should we be exactly eating? Well, I I call it the sapien framework. I, I don't think there is one way of eating. So that's why I call it a framework. It's not the sapien diet. It's the sapien framework. And this is just what humans are meant to eat. And this is based on over 150 world experts I've talked to in the past three years. And the sapien framework, it, it basically just it's simple. It's just ancestral foods. It's it's not exactly a paleo diet, but it's kind of those principles of what did our ancestors eat and all the science aligns. So it's interesting that all the ancient history that we study our ancestors, we look at modern native living people. You know, there's people like Weston Price traveled around the world in the 1930s and observed all these native living populations that weren't touched by society yet. And they all had these same practices, which is eating the nutrient dense animal foods. They didn't eat the sugar, flour, oil, refined grains, vegetable oils, you know, these things. And they all did well. They all didn't have chronic disease. They lived long. They had strong bodies. They had strong teeth. They didn't need dentists. They didn't have cavities. It was, it's a whole different ballgame. And as soon as they ate these modern processed foods, they deteriorated. So simply you, an animal based diet is what I believe is sort of a base. And that just means over 50% animal foods, which is funnily the exact opposite of what people are pushing these days, these plant-based foods. But you can, side note, you can have more than half your plate filled with plant foods, but by calories, you can still be animal-based because that's where most of the fat and the protein and you know the calories are coming from is which is a good thing, these nutrient-dense bioavailable sources of food. So yes, maybe half my plate is filled with certain low sugar plant foods, but by calories, I might be getting- So we're talking really about green leafy vegetables. We're not talking corn, potatoes, rice. Exactly, exactly. The, the low sugar, the, yeah, corn. The, you're talking about the starchy ones that, and foods that taste sweet are the ones that you, you probably want to avoid. I mean, you can have some if you're an athlete or if you're young, but- if you, if you're overweight, which most people are, or would just like to lose a little weight, like most people would like to, you, you should probably avoid those. And yeah, stick to the the whole foods, animal foods, and the yeah leafy greens. I eat you know mushrooms, avocado, fermented vegetables. I think these are great, and this is sort of ancestrally appropriate too. And are there any certain meats that you recommend eating? I think red meat is the best. It has the best nutrient profile. It's funny also because that's most demonized. You can kind of, it's funny. <laughs> it's a rule of thumb is whatever they say, do the opposite. It's like, oh, salt is good, blah, blah, blah. Salt is not bad for you. Like there's a whole thing I could tell you about, you know, how we got that wrong too. You know, sun is not bad for you. Yeah, of course you don't want to get sunburned, but you need sun for vitamin D. And we're seeing these studies now and, and it's kind of, we finally had a have a randomized controlled study proving with COVID that patients with a higher vitamin D status are doing better. So basically, there's just so many things that we got wrong. Right. And then, I mean, like in recent years, uh, vegetarianism, veganism have become way more popular. Now you even have bodybuilders that live on a vegan diet and are big proponents of it. What do you have to say about that type of diet? Uh, it's a fallback diet. I think this is humans evolved in a very smart way where if we, if our environment failed us, we couldn't get a hunt, you know, we couldn't get the animal or the environment, like the climate failed us. It was freezing cold or we were in too north of a latitude or it was an ice age or, you know, there wasn't plants, there wasn't berry trees around. We, or there wasn't meat around. We 
developed the ability to do survive on plant foods. It's the low quality nutrition of plant foods. It's it's just how it is. It's it's not as bioavailable and nutritious. So we could survive on these high carb, lower protein, and very low fat diets. This is this fallback state. So many people try to utilize this fallback state as a weight loss tool, or they confuse it with a good diet. But it's it's not. It's you just by the math, like I'm saying, by the science of just how we know about what nutrients are available in animal foods compared to plant foods, that it is not optimal and you're not getting complete nutrition. And so, yeah, it's it, yeah, I really want to actually how that came about. Like, why? Why is there like this concept that, you know, like when you eat vegetarian, you're going to live healthier? Like, how did that even arise? Well, oh, I mean, that's a really interesting story, too. We, we could go for hours about this story. <laughs> it actually has a religious sort of starting point with the Seventh-day Adventists and starting in the late 1800s. And there's a woman, Ellen G. White. She had visions. Like meat was always regarded as a health food. And it still is in many countries around the world, right? Meat is a sign of status and wealth and health. But in America, we slowly started demonizing meat starting around the late 1880s and into the early 1900s. And, you know, it's this religious thing. They had this idea of the Garden of Eden diet and was pure. And it was a time when women's rights weren't so great. They were, you know, and there was a lot of alcoholism and, you know, men were beating women. It was this terrible time in history. And this certain woman, at least Ellen Page, associated associated that with eating red meat. And it was this carnal, like primal thing that men would do. And so they had this whole idea that it, it kind of bled into John Harvey Kellogg. He was kind of worked with these Seventh-day Adventists and Ellen G. White in his early days. And he went on to think that uh, a pure diet was one that was bland and and plant-based. And he invented famously, you know, the cornflakes. And, and this was part of their <laughs> idea for how to live healthy. And then it goes on that meat was kind of blamed for things each decade. Like I said about Eisenhower was blamed for heart disease. And then it got blamed for climate change. You know, it's like you get in the 60s and 70s, it was, it was this whole hippie movement. It's like, oh, it's the methane, you know, it's like the cow farts. It's like, all right, that that's completely disproven. I could do another hour on that. Yeah, and, what, and what about how, that? Because for some, that's really the argument. I mean, there's like an ethical okay. argument, there's a health argument, but then there's also a sustainability argument that, you know, cows produce too much methane, they eat too much crops, they need too much land. Uh, I mean, is it mm -hmm. even possible for the entire world to eat a beef-based diet, for example, because they really need a lot of land, right? Okay, so for 8 billion people, maybe not. I, I mean, I'm kind of glad that everyone doesn't have the meat-based diet, right? Vegetarians could be a good thing because <laughs> we need sort of a balance. And for 8 billion people, yeah, that's a little rough. But the earth has a lot of land. America has a lot of land. If you, anyone flown over the United States, you see a lot of land, but what you see is a lot of corn, wheat, and soy. And a lot of that goes to ethanol for biofuels. And a lot, you know, it goes to all these different things. People think it just goes to cows. I mean, 88% of a cow's diet is inedible to humans. They're eating grass or they're eating stuff like leftover corn stalks and products from, from ethanol, right? These are leftover products. They're eating leftover distiller's yeast, right? We're making all the beer and all that and they get all the leftovers. So it's really efficient system. So just know that 88% of, you know, the cow's diet is not edible to humans. We're, we're not in competition with them mm -hmm. for food. And also what they do is they upcycle the protein. So they take low quality 
protein like wheat and all these corn. I mean, there's barely any protein in it. I mean, that's what really matters. When you say food, that's just calories. We're not going to, I mean, yes, we can keep the world alive. We can send sacks of grain to Africa and keep people alive on these fallback low quality foods, but that doesn't make them healthy. So to get these healthy foods, the, the cows are miracle workers. They upcycle these nutrients into bioavailable nutrition that humans can eat and be healthy on. So, so that's one part of it. And, and all, I mean, there's so many statistics out there that like 85% of land that cows use cannot be used for anything else. They're, they're not competing for cropland. It's, mm. The cropland is used for crop. And then there's rangeland or marginal land that they can use. So, okay. Then there's also just the system. I'm not saying our factory farming system is good. It's what we have and it's what we've come to. But, uh, you know, there's a whole section of the film about regenerative ag- agriculture or holistically managed, you know, land, which is a completely different thing. People can look up Alan Savory. He had a, a great TED talk on this where he's reversing design desertification, desertification when these lands all across Africa, especially are turning to deserts. And he's using animals, cows to reverse that and and bring back the life in the soil. So factory farming isn't good. It's pretty efficient though. And it's, it's how we're producing so much meat. All cows spend two thirds of their life on grass though, before they even go to the feedlot. So most people don't know that is two thirds of their life they spend on the grass with their mothers, cow calf operations, you know, that they have the mother cow and they stick with them and they're on the grass. And then, you know, later to be finished off quickly and efficiently, they go to this feedlot and these feedlots aren't bad. I visit them. I know these people, these are good farmers. They don't mistreat their animals. They have plenty of space and they just get basically a junk food diet. They get all these grains and, you know, leftover stuff that's really starchy and sugary and it helps them grow fat. I mean, this is just what Americans do, right? They want delicious junk food and they get fat. So there's just, you know, misnomer about what, you know, how bad feedlot, feedlots are. But also there's a better system, I'm saying, which is this regenerative agriculture I'm talking about, which actually puts carbon back into the soil, which actually can reverse these sort of climate change things and CO2 in the atmosphere that, uh, you know, the, these activists will get all worked up about. And just to go back to that, when I'm talking about methane and... Yeah, w- w- why is methane not a problem, actually? Yeah, so methane is, yes, it's stronger. It's, it's, it's like a stronger, quote, gas that's up in the atmosphere, but it only lasts for 10 years and it comes back down. It breaks down in CO2 and comes back down. So uh, CO2, like actual carbon that, you know, from like fossil fuels, goes up into the atmosphere and lasts a thousand years. So the easiest way to explain it is cows, they are not alchemists, right? They can't create something out of nothing. They have, they, they right? There, there's, there's carbon that goes in the grass and they eat the grass and the methane, it's actually a belch, comes out the front, not the back. And it goes up in the atmosphere, it comes back down 10 years later, and it's a cycle. It's an above ground cycle, right? You can just picture it just goes in a circle, a 10 year circle. Then there's the opposite, which is fossil fuels. We're pulling carbon deep from the ground, deep from the the oil that's been trapped there for millennia and putting it up into the air through all the other things, which are the bigger problems. All the things in... in industrial society are the things that are the real problem. They're pulling up this one-way street of carbon. It's from fossil fuels up into the air, all the big industry in cars and transportation and planes and everything else. So that they're much different cycles we're even talking about. It's the flow gas and a stock gas. Right. Flow gas, methane goes in a circle, stock gas, it, you know, this CO2, it builds up. It's a one-way street. And 
just because you were talking about factory farming just earlier, like, do you consider all meat equal or is there like a difference between, let's say, factory beef and Kobe beef where, you know, they have been specifically fed a certain diet that we would consider much more healthier than just mm. corn and soy maybe? Yeah, well... Yeah, so just or, or not organic meat, but yeah, sustainably grown mm -hmm. grass fed, grass finished meat is better than factory farm meat because it, it will have a better omega 3 to omega 6 ratio. It'll have more omega 3s, less omega 6s, which is what you want. You want to be pretty even in those ratios. And most people are getting all these vegetable oils, and which are actually industrial seed oils, and they're actually really bad for you. And they have high, high omega 6 ratios, which is likely causing a lot of sickness in people. One of the, a lot mm. of people point to that as a big problem. So you do want to get the grass-fed meat for many reasons. One, it has a better omega-3 ratio. It is better for the land where it's, you're regenerating the soil by keeping them on the grass their whole life. And it's better to support your farmer, right? These are the people do, you know, the, the farmers that are doing it right instead of, you know, big time operations that maybe aren't as good. But if you can't afford it, I would definitely eat grocery store normal beef over many, many foods. And I do myself. I don't always, you know, afford the the better, ex more expensive stuff from my local farmer. And I, am, I have no problem with that. And I know many great doctors around the country that are reversing type 2 diabetes and obesity in patients with very little money. They're on food stamps. I know people that are in wheelchairs. I mean, they're not even exercising. If we ever get into exercise, that with, with just eating cheap Walmart beef, ground beef and eggs, And they're, you know, reversing conditions. They're feeling amazing. Right. So do what you can afford, really. And do, do you think there's also like a difference in, in terms of like what, you know, type of meat you eat? Like, should you be just eating lean beef or do you really subscribe to perhaps nose to tail eating when it comes to meat? Yeah, I, actually, my company's called nose to tail. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, we, we have, uh, we actually ship it out. We do it all grass finished and we use the whole animal. We do the bones. So yeah, I think we, we sell the bones, we sell the organs, we even grind up the organs into the, the ground beef because a lot of people don't like to eat the organs, but these are the most nutritious parts. And And yeah, I don't, I don't believe in lean meat at all. I think that is, is, you know, just part of this low fat idea that the fat is good. I don't necessarily think you need to be keto. You know, most people have heard of keto mm -hmm. and I, I think I, I got keto adapted. I did it on and off for a year and a half and got very fat adapted. So I, I'm very good at burning fat, but now I can eat more of a variety of foods. And I don't have to eat super high fat and, and I can still handle, you know, carbs as fuel or fat as fuel. Right. But, I'd say, oh, and then also to answer your question about the different types of meat is, is beef, ruminant meat, sheep, you know, lamb, beef, buffalo, these are, these are the great meats, but they're demonized. And the pork and the chicken aren't as good. They're not as nutritious. They actually are raised a lot worse. Like if we we're going to point the finger at, you know, problems with environment, it's more towards the raising of pork and chicken because those are just raised in these giant, you know, real bad feedlots. At least the cows are out on pasture for two thirds of their life. And, you know, you know what I mean? So mm. just pork and chicken, yeah, little, they're higher in omega-6 fats compared to omega-3s. They're not raised as well. They don't have as many nutrients. But still, if you eat those nose to tail, that, that's great as well. You, and you can get some good stuff, uh, good nutrition out of them too, especially with, you know, the bits and pieces, the bone, you know, making bone broth, eating the, you know, chicken hearts, stuff like that. I don't even know like where, where one would even go like to procure <laughs> some of those. Like uh, if you go like to Walmart, you might just get some ground beef maybe, which is already maybe a good source because yeah, I mean, they, they grind a lot of the, you know, in a parts of, of, you know, the cow in, into ground beef, which is still really nutritious in that way. But are there like any other sources perhaps? Well, I mean, it's there. You go, go to Whole Foods, they have all kinds of stuff. 
you go to a lot of these stores. So you can go to the high end, the Whole Foods, they have liver, they have they have chicken feet. I made bone broth out of the chicken feet. They have all kinds of stuff. I even went, I did a little segment for the film Food Deserts. You have this idea that people in bad neighborhoods don't have access to good food. Well, my counterpoint is you don't need tons of fresh vegetables and fruit to be healthy. You can just eat some meat and you know a few other things and be healthy. And we went to a, like Carniceria here in, in mm. South Central LA and there was chicken liver and beef liver and all the bits and pieces. You know, these other cultures eat all the animal and it's really affordable and, and healthy. But yeah, I, I'm not saying everyone has to do it. I'm, I, I know it's a bit exotic, but I, at least just know that animal foods are healthy, like egg yolks are super healthy. People like oysters, you know, it's, it's kind of in the middle of some people think they're weird or exotic, but this is where the good nutrition is. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. It actually reminds me of a, of a story. Many, many years back, I, I was living in China and I was visiting a friend of mine and his mom was cooking for us. And um, she was preparing something that she thought I would like very much because I'm originally mm-hmm. from Germany and she found in a, in a local Chinese supermarket, basically, uh, how do you call it? Like the, the toes of, of, of a pig. Like, like literally mm, like the, the, the hoof, the hoofs, yeah, the, 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 feet, hoofs, the hoofs. Yeah. 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 Like, like literally nobody in Germany would ever eat them. So they're being exported. <laughs> they've been exported to China. The same for like chicken hearts and, and like tons of other good things, actually. And that was the first time I actually had the hoofs of a pig. I mean, it was crazy. And I did not really think it was a German delicacy, but it was definitely a, an interesting experience. Well, I've been a lot open to those foods. And I mean, in the South, in the US, people eat pig's feet, you know, people know the yeah. South, they they have all these kind of things. And because they were kind of leftovers, but it's interesting that it's kind of coming back around because throughout history, they weren't the leftovers, they were people knew without even knowing the science, they knew that these were the most nutritious parts. And, you know, classic examples, we study native living tribes. I'm actually going to Africa soon to visit and sort of live with some of these tribes that are still living ancestrally, like the Hadza or the Maasai in Kenya and in Tanzania. And they, when they hunt an animal, the, the person who got the kill gets the liver. You know, they get first crack at the liver and then they actually share the liver a lot of time and they give it to all the members of the tribe so they each get a piece so they can get that good nutrition. Yeah, I think back in the day, humans were also way less wasteful than they are now, right? I mean, there's a whole waste aspect as well when it comes to um, vegetarianism, for example, right? That's a really good point. They kind of point the finger at meat eaters, but all the vegetarian foods, they're highly processed, packaged. You were shipping them in from all over the world. There's so much waste. I looked up this data on food waste and way more plant foods are wasted. People know how bad things, I mean, how quickly things go bad. You know, you, you buy a bunch of vegetables and fruit and whatever, and you have them in your fridge and they go bad and people throw them away. There's just so much food waste with plant foods, just in the actual foods. Compared to animal foods, people don't waste animal foods. They know that they're valuable, they're healthy. And then, of course, the packaging and just shipping them all in. So, yeah, I mean, the plant-based diet doesn't have a leg to stand on. I I don't, I guess I have a problem if you choose to eat it. I'm not going to tell you what to eat. (laughs) And maybe you can make a whole foods version of it and not eat the processed foods and get it from your local farmer, you know, and go to the farmer's market and and do all that. But I, I just don't see any point to it because... I could go on for hours about nutrition side that it's not as good. What is actually your take on um, some of those newer, highly processed fake meats like Beyond Beef or Beyond Burger, whatever it's called, the Impossible Burger. And Mm -hmm. they're supposedly having the same nutritional makeup in terms of the macros of a real burger yet. And then they taste pretty Mm -hmm. similar. Yet, of course, they're completely plant-based. Yeah, it's it's a scam. It's like a money (laughs) scheme. It's it's 
it doesn't add up. So they are highly processed. It's not even proven safe that there was problems with, you know, certain ingredients. They use all kinds of soy and all the, these, you know, these vegetable oils that, that aren't good for you. They're, they take just as much energy. If you think about all the packages and processing and cooling and this and that, that has to go into it. And yes, and they're still using these monocrops field, you know, it uses soy protein. One of them uses soy protein. You still have to grow all that soy and you're <laughs> clearing out ecosystems and to grow that soy. And then if you go to the next step is they want to make these lab grown meats, right? That are actually meat, not made of plants. And that's, again, uh, it's it's a fantasy. Again, I talked about alchemy. Alchemy mm-hmm. means you're making something out of nothing, basically, right? You, you can't turn uh, bront, uh, what was it, lead into gold. So you the idea that you're going to get the full bio, like nutrients and amino acids and protein from just piecing it together through in the lab doesn't make any sense. Like if the cow is the perfect system, it uses sunlight and water and grass and it makes meat. You can't do better than that. You can't cheat nature. You can't create something out of nothing. So just even like I said, cooling, like to refrigerate all this fake lab meat would be millions of watts of power to just cool down these big vats of food. You'd have to use all kinds of antibiotics. You'd have to use all kinds of stuff to keep it clean. And you just can't form something out of nothing. And most people are grossed out by it anyway and wouldn't eat it. And it's a joke. So what kind of future when it comes to our diets and food in general, do you subscribe to then if you think you know, fake meat is not the answer. Lab-grown meat is not the answer. Vegetarianism is not. Where do we go from here? Uh, vegetarian could be okay. Sorry. If you, you eat a bunch of fish, you eat some oysters and some eggs, you can do fine. You know, as long as you're getting that good nutrition. But the answer is going back to how we used to eat. It's pretty simple. We don't have to go back that far. We don't have to live in caves and run around with a spear. We <laughs> We just need to eat like we did in the say 1800s, we had mixed farms. We all over the world, we had mixed farms where plants and animals are grown together. They, this is how nature works. There's a cycle. The plant, the manure from the animals helps grow the plants. It's a perfect system, and people are doing this. I visited Joel Salatin. He's pretty famous in the regenerative agricultural space in Virginia has a farm and doing all these systems, rotational grazing and holistic management. And we can go back to this. I'm saying we have enough land. If we stop growing all the corn, wheat and soy, and we just have these, uh, what if we had a network, a whole system of, of family farms? Okay, here's a bigger picture. We have all this technology and like everyone's like, oh, the self-driving cars, are gonna, people are going to lose their jobs. What are they going to do? What if we went back to farming? What if we, we had these people, instead of being truck drivers, do a very satisfying job of raising food for the world. And we go back to farming, more people are farming, we have more jobs, they're they're doing the proper techniques using plants and animals together. I'm not saying everyone has to eat just meat, you know, we, we're growing these plants and animals together. And as we used to in the 1800s, before we had all these modern techniques, and if we use the land well, and, and better than we're using it now, we could feed a whole lot more people than you think, because there's a lot of land out there, we're, we're actually not using as much of as you think, or we're not using it well. And also, even if there isn't good rain, you know, it, it doesn't seem suitable. Like I mentioned, Alan Savory over in Africa, the land doesn't seem suitable to grow crops. Once you put these animals, the ruminants, right, the, the bison mm-hmm. and the cows, put them back on the land, it regenerates. Just watch the TED Talk. It's, it's amazing. And the land regenerates and we will expand our usable lands to create food. Yeah, we're going to make sure to put that into our show notes. Is there like a limit to how much meat one can eat? You know, like, I mean, there's some people that subscribe to carnivorism, mm-hmm. right, where they just eat meat and nothing else. 
Well, I'm friends with all those guys. Sean <laughs> Baker, Paul Saladino, Michaela Peters. Uh, all these people are, you know, actually good friends of mine. And I don't subscribe to it, but they're doing very well. I know people have been doing it for decades. There's the Charlene and Joe Anderson. They look great. They're like 60 and she's like 50 something. They look like they're 30. They look amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I think our most ancestral diet, you'd say, is an all-meat diet with a lot of fat and not all year round, but we, we were running around for a million years as ancient humans or homo habilis, even like pre-humans, eating woolly mammoth. And, you know, there's good data on this showing that we were highly carnivorous. You can look at stable isotope testing. There's a great study that shows that we were on the top of the food chain. We were eating tons of animal protein. We were, you know, by our, the, in our bones, you could see how much protein we were eating. Mm. So, and fat, but we were eating tons of fat. You have a woolly mammoth. It's tons of fat. Like this was the good stuff. And other, are there like any, any recent studies actually, in, in terms of like how, how meat eating affects your longevity, for example? Uh, so it's super hard to, to, you can't really measure longevity of humans because it would take a yeah. hundred years, but there are some great studies. There's, there's a couple sort of meat-based studies, meat-based diets, and it actually showed that their gut microbiome did not get worse. It was actually fine. A lot of people worry about that. Uh, if you want to kind of get into like longevity, you'd probably be wanting to think about mTOR and IGF-1. These are some things people throw around. You don't want to raise your IGF-1 and mTOR a lot. And also you, you want to have a low insulin level, like low blood blood sugar for life is pretty agreed upon. So low blood sugar and low insulin and good insulin control is definitely better when you're eating high, you know, low carb diets, meat and fat. And then the mTOR and IGF-1, I mean, people like to say that meat raises these things more than other things, but really people who are eating meat, well, high sugar, high, you know, high sugar foods actually just raise them a lot as well. And especially people eating the, you know, more plant-based diets or, or even processed food diets, they're eating, you know, all the time. They're eating snacks. They're always hungry. They're always eating. You're always raising your, your IGF-1, mTOR, these things. And the people eating the meat-based diets, most people eat once or twice a day because you get these large satisfying meals and you're not hungry. And people, you know, everyone knows about intermittent fasting by now or eating in a condensed eating window, which I do, you know, eating only about seven hours a day. I'm not even hungry outside that. And, I, <laughs> and I'm, so I'm only eating twice. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm raising my mTOR and IGF-1, these things we associate with longevity, but I'm, for one, I'm only raising them twice a day. And I'm also not worried about that because then it's, it's not even necessarily a bad thing. It, you need a balance of longevity and growth. And I work out, and I, I, that stimulates these things. You know, you want to stimulate these things to build muscle. You, you need a balance of muscle. So many people in modern society are wasting away. They don't have enough muscle. They're not eating enough meat as they age. You need more protein as you age. You can't digest it as well. And they're wasting away. And it, it's a high cause of death because you fall. So many things happen. You break bones. You're not as mobile. You can't live as well. And you end up dying of some infection. So you want some muscle, you want some growth mode, but you want to balance. And I think these high meat diets uh, give you that. And oh, and I have to throw this in. I had an exclusive interview with Dr. David Klerfeld, who was a USDA PhD. He worked for the USDA his whole career. And he was on the working panel in the WHO 2015 working group that decided meat was a carcinogen, right? So they cherry picked their, you know, little team of 11 people. And that turned out to be a lot of vegan and vegetarians. So he, he reported, to me that they had a high bias towards vegan and vegetarianism. And they did not look at the studies that he brought to the table. That's the whole thing is you bring studies and they evaluate them. They ignored his studies, threw them out. And he's not some carnivore guy. He's just like a balanced diet guy. And he said they, they just 
weren't looking at the data. They used a lot of rodent data. They didn't bring, use mm-hmm. the stuff he showed that showed that it was not a carcinogen. He was just like, he was just saying, hey, we've been eating for meat for all of history. Why would this be the thing that's causing cancers and these diseases when it's these processed foods that we've only had for a hundred years? This is so obvious. It's like, these are all these modern foods people are eating with the meat. I, I have a shirt. It's not the meat. It's what else you eat. It, people, like I said, you blame on the meat. These people are eating fries and milkshakes and hamburgers and they're, they're blaming it on the meat. It, no, it's the sugar in the drinks. It's the deep fried vegetable oils and the fries. It's everything else but the meat. The meat is the healthy thing. Right. Let's just, uh, before we wrap up, circle back to food lies. Like, uh, when can we expect to to see the documentary? Well, I'm working on it every day. I'm going to jump off <laughs> and, and get back to it, actually. I, I, next year. I mean, it's going to come out next year. We're slowed down by lockdown. We're yeah. going to go to Africa, film some more. Uh, we're just... We're working hard and yeah, next year. And what what do you want people to to take away, you know, from actually watching it? Like when we all watch it next year, like what should we take away from there? I think it it's a lot of people, maybe even listening to this podcast are really into health and they're doing a lot of things and they're just, you know, read a lot of books or watch lectures, all these things. Most people haven't. But what I want people to get, a, I want this an hour and 40 minutes audio visual thesis on all the stuff I'm saying and more and like kind of, Let people, you know, you have this family member who's not eating well, or, you know, this person, your friend that just needs to lose weight, but they don't know what to do. And there's all this conflicting advice. Just give them this film. It is, we're not, you know, going out on a limb. We're everything scientific. We're not going to say you got to do an all meat diet. You know, we're not going to say you're going to die if you eat vegan. We're, you know, we're well balanced. It'll just give them a view of nutrition, debunk the ideas that anti-meat activists put out there, talk about the environment. We even get into the ethics. We'll talk about nutrition and hopefully they'll just understand food. Awesome. So what do our listeners have to do to, to learn more about it? Yeah, I'm food lies anywhere online, anywhere online. I'm You can search Food Lies and I'm there, YouTube. Just follow along. I'm putting out content every day. We're still up on Indiegogo actually on foodlies.org and people can pre-order the film. Awesome. And yeah, that's about it. Great. Um, yeah, anything else that you would like to mention? Not, I mean, eat densely, move intensely. That's my tagline that kind of wraps it all up yeah. is you just eat nutrient dense foods and move intensely. You know, we didn't talk about exercise, but it's, I exercise about 15 minutes a day and my body composition has never been better just doing brief, intense exercise. So I think it's just a good little thing. You know, eat less, move more doesn't mean anything to me. It's sort of a stupid statement that just says basic math, <laughs> like get rich, don't make more money than you spend. All right. All right. Great. So that doesn't mean anything, but eat densely, move intensely, you know, gives you a little more of a plan. Awesome. Brian Sanders, thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. Thanks. Take care. And there you have it. As you've heard him, you can learn more about Food Lies and the Sapien Diet on foodlies.org. And if you would like to support Brian's work, you can also pre-order Food Lies on Indiegogo. And we make sure to include that link in our show notes. Brian also runs an amazing podcast called Peak Human featuring a great many experts in nutrition, which I highly recommend checking out if you want to dive deeper into the subject matter. As always, you can find our complete show notes on 20minute.fitness. I'm your host, Martin Kessler. Our producer is Lila Lasso. Thank you for listening to 20 Minute Fitness, and I hope to see you here next Thursday.